2: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again, another installment of uh, the Beautiful Game podcast and Eurosport collaboration, bringing you coverage of this year's Euros 2020. Uh, We said that we'd stick it out through to the very, very end. And so here we are, the, the morning after the night before. We said on the last episode that regardless of what the outcome would be, we'd be here Uh, and we would be providing you guys coverage. I want to apologise in advance because my voice is a little hoarse. I I lost it in the first five minutes of the game yesterday um, and haven't quite recovered. Uh, As ever, I'm your host, Budge. I'm joined by faithful co-conspirators Dot and Pete Sharland from Eurosport Boys. I know it's a tough one, but we did commit to doing this and and we said that, you know, come rain or shine, we'd... uh, um we provide coverage of of the game the highs the lows and everything in between uh, how are we doing uh, this this morning boys
3: tough one man it's, it's, i'm heartbroken but we move
2: yeah 100% how how are things at your end Pete? yeah
1: i'm not that bad i got to be honest i feel like <laughs> I'm the elephant in the room for everyone yeah
2: i'm not that bad <laughs> right okay so let's let let's get into it and and let's start off as as we usually like to do with the the starting eleven for both teams, and we saw going into the game that um, Italy were relatively unchanged in terms of their their starting eleven, but we saw Gareth Southgate opt to um, change things around and go uh, and, and go back to a back three, um, and of course with some of the performances of recent uh, of of Bukayo Saka. As there always is uh, with a Gareth Southgate selection, there was a bit of uproar. Why are you leaving him out? You know he's been playing so well, and 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 you know you bringing in um, uh, uh, Trippier, Kieran Trippier instead. Um, in terms of how England set up that team and, and Southgate set up that team going into that game, how how did you guys perceive it? Were you confident in 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 the the lineup? Did you feel that? You could see what he was doing and perhaps trying to be a bit more, um, uh, I guess, solid as a base and foundation to then build on. Or do you feel that, that the, the way that the team was set up was a precursor for things to, to come in, in, in the game and the way that it transpired? Let, let's kick things off with you, Pete.
1: I liked it. I thought it was the right move. I think if you look at the Italy team um, before the game, the areas where they are weakest is the fullbacks. Um, Di Lorenzo is solid, nothing spectacular, but he's a good player. Emerson is probably their weakest player with no Spinazzola there. And I think the most dangerous players barring the midfield are the two wide men, and Insigne and Chiesa. So I think by playing a three, you can use the wide centre-halves to shuffle out and help out the wing-backs to shut down those wide players. And you can use the wing-backs to get higher up the pitch and cause issues for those full-backs, both by trying to get in behind them, but also by playing from deeper and giving them something to think about in terms of do they come out? Do they sit? How do they play it from there? I think there was an acceptance, I think, in that team as well that probably weren't going to be able to win that midfield battle, at least not win it comprehensively. I think you can can give it your best, but I don't think you can do enough to stop those three. I think, as a lot of people have said, I think they are probably the best international midfield we've seen since Spain's won. Um, And I think that the way it was set up, basically for the first half, maybe first thirty minutes, I think it played out perfectly. I think it was right, but then I think as we will get into later, it started to go wrong.
2: Hundred <laughs> percent. Mm, and and how about you, Dot? What are your thoughts on 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 that starting eleven? Were you part of the, the the segment of of fans who felt that um, Bukayo Saka or perhaps someone else? Um, should have started um, in 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 uh, instead of uh, Kieran Trippier.
3: No, I, I wanted Kieran Trippier to start. Um, I think he had a fantastic game yesterday. Water ball, you know, for the Luke Shaw goal. Really showed a lot of leadership as well throughout the game. Mm-hmm. I saw him when he came off giving instructions. Just throughout the game, I think Kieran Trippier managed the game well. Um, I think my only problem with Alaino was Mason Mount, if I'm being totally honest. I don't think he's had the most amazing tournament. I think he's an excellent player. I think he plays very well in the Chelsea system, but I think it hasn't quite worked out in the England system. So I would have loved to see Bukayo Saka, who has been mm-hmm. a shining light. And I've always said I'm, I'm Jack Grealish's biggest fan. I think he's England's best player. I've said that around 25 times throughout the previous three weeks. But I can understand why you're not going to go with him in this kind of game, because off the ball, he's not the most you know, determined player getting back, should I say. Whereas Saka, you know that he's gonna give you that let work going up and down the pitch. So I think in terms of the lineup, I, I like the three at the back. I like, you know, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice as, you know, the central, central midfielders. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't like is Mason Mount in that like right roaming position because I don't think he's had the best tournament. Whereas I think if we started with Saka, we would have given, you know, Italy something else to think about. Um as, as for the overall performance, I wasn't really impressed, if I'm being totally honest. I think the, the first goal came too early for England. And a lot of the time, when you score within two minutes, you kind of know how the game's going to go. Whereas if that was someone like a Spain and they score within two minutes, you know the flow of the game is still going to be the same because they're going to mm. still continue to keep the ball. They're going to continue to manipulate the ball. But I think the England team scored early. And they were thinking, hold on. We keep a clean sheet. That's it. It's done now. And I think that mentality will get you found out in finals, and that's eventually what happened.
2: That's a, that's a very very good point, um, actually, Dot. And that was the the next question I was going to ask: is that was was the the, the early goal ultimately uh, a blessing and a curse? Because um, you know the, the the team then started to sit back and then in uh, allowed Italy to settle. And even if you if you listen to um, Giorgio Chiellini's post match comments, he was basically saying, you know, the first few minutes were a frenzy, uh, and, and the fact that you know England were you know were straight out the uh, out of the blocks, um, you know, as soon as the, the the first whistle went, and then you've got the 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 roar of the of the fans as well. It was like a crazy uh, pressure that the Italy the Italians had to deal with, and perhaps if that had been sustained for a bit longer, it would have taken them a, a, a lot longer to settle into the game. But the fact that England then started to sit off and invite them on to, 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 for them to start playing and, and, and settling in ultimately was was their undoing. I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, Pete. Do, do, you, do you agree or do you see it yeah. in a different way?
1: Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because obviously the best way to beat the City team is to unsettle them. If you play at their pace, they'll beat you because they're a lot smarter than you are. So, you have to get in their face, make it difficult for them, try and upset them with speed and creativity, that sort of thing. But it's been a long tournament. It's been a long season. And it's so hard to carry on doing that for another 90 minutes. I just think by the end of it, I think we saw a lot of players who have played a lot of football. Some of them are injured and they probably should have been given more of a rest. A lot of these players went all the way to the Champions League final. A lot of them are involved in like big fights in the Premier League for top four or or for the title. Kieran Trippi was obviously involved in the Spanish title fight. I just think this season has taken a lot out of these England players. And I think by the end of it, you just saw that they didn't really have anything left to give. I, the, I guess my issue is that, and we was doing this before we came on air, is that the pressing was just too half-assed. And you either need to fully commit to press a team like Italy, or you need to not do it at all, because they'll just pass it around you. It's so easy for them. Mm-hmm. And I think if England had just sat deeper for a little longer and just really frustrated the Italians, and just, if you put, if you had to tell Harry Maguire and John Stones look, we're not going to try and push up, just sit, just stay tight to cheer on Let the, Let the wing backs deal with, um, with the wide players. I just think if you didn't give them that space, they wouldn't create as many opportunities as they did. But England kept trying to push up From the back, and they kept trying to create chances. And I think that if they if they done it for a little bit, if they sat deeper for a little bit longer, I wonder if maybe they would have got they'd have made Italy more frustrated than the Italians might have started making more mistakes that England could have taken advantage of.
3: Think I don't Mm. don't think necessarily that Italy were amazing yesterday. I just think they were very very composed. They didn't lose Mm. their rag throughout the game, Mm. and. It's funny because Italy would have planned for every scenario where England can potentially score. And I think the last thing they would have prepped for is Kieran Trippier crossing in the ball for Luke Shaw to hit it on the volley. And that just throws off your whole game plan. So I think we do need to give credit for Italy because they stayed composed. Because they were getting run all over the place in the first 20 minutes. But after the 25th minute, the 30th minute, I was watching this game and I was like, hmm. England are in big trouble because Italy weren't doing much. Mm. But when you're manipulating the ball, when you're passing, when you're keeping possession, it's wearing down the opposition. So you may not be having a lorry load of chances left, right, and centre, but it takes the legs of the opposition. And we mm. saw that in the second half, England were spent physically.
0: I
1: mean, you know what? The best, the best, the best players and the best teams. It's not about like the winning. It's about what they do when they're losing. It's about how they react. Mm. Like the best example in this tournament, I think, is Luka Modric. And how I spoke about this earlier in the tournament, that he was basically written off after the England game and then after the Cherry Republic game. And then against Scotland, he put in probably one of the best performances of the entire tournament to take his team to the next round. And it's not about what you do when you win. It's about what you do when you lose. And Italy were just watching and they were just sitting there. They were just watching. They were just composing themselves. On commentary for the BBC, Jermaine Genius was thrusting at the mouth to tell us that Italy was scared and they were panicking. No, they weren't. They, just, they, would, they knew what was happening. They were trying to play their football and they weren't being allowed to do it. But they were just waiting. It was just patience. And then slowly, just before halftime, and then obviously in the second half, they just took control and they just took it up a level. And that's the difference between a great team and an excellent team and a team that might go down in history because as this Italy team could do, they already are going to mm. in the way they've gone on this amazing unbeaten run. And I just think that this England team is so exciting and has so much potential and they should bring so much happiness to this country for the next 10 years. But that is a lesson they have to take away from this tournament is that little bit extra, that final step. And I think they're all good enough and they're all smart enough to learn that lesson. Mm. But that's the difference between this team and the Italian team, which has that little bit more star quality.
2: You know, you guys make some really, really um, interesting points, which, which, in some ways, to me, raises a philosophical argument because um, as I'm, I'm hearing you guys talking about, you know, the the, the, the quality of, of of both the different sides and the experience between the two of them, and just how calm, composed, and 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 how well that the Italians dealt with the game, it reminds me of you know that um, that moment that Mourinho was uh, speaking about um, football heritage. And, and, and I wonder how much of a part that has to play in scenarios like this because you've got a, a, an Italian team who have been to 10 major tournament finals, right? Six World Cups, four Euros. I think only Germany have been to more finals in major tournaments than Italy. And so when you talk about knowing how to navigate through difficult moments, being able to face adversity and overcome that, um, just having the smarts and now the street wiseness to deal with difficult situations and perhaps England in, in, in how they are sort of relative novices in that regard, you know, will we see in future, you know, uh, a, a similar story in that it's close, but no cigar because of the fact that there isn't that heritage historically, you know, aside from the, 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 the World Cup back in 66. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you feel that that potentially has something to, to 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 play here, or do you think that that is, you know, that history can be written in 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 forthcoming tournaments? Where where do you guys stand on that?
3: I'm not I'm not a big fan of all this our uh, football heritage. That's the mm. reason why England lost. I just think the mentality of Cellini and Benucci, those two, they're the ones that they were making sure. Listen, they don't mind going through a brick wall to bring this home to Italy. So. Mm. Yeah, obviously you can say, obviously England don't have the pedigree and the clout. You can make the same argument, you know, in the Champions League final when it was Chelsea versus Man City. Man City haven't been in that situation. Mm-hmm. Chelsea are seasoned pros. They've been to finals. They've won a Champions League. But I just think when it goes to pennies, man, it's just who keeps their nerve. And I think the Italian mm-hmm. players just kept their nerve a bit better than the English players. So I wouldn't say mm-hmm. it's football heritage because I think England played a fantastic tournament. And at the end of the day, I- after 120 minutes, both teams were 1-1 level game. And then after that, it's just the luck of the draw.
1: Also, like you can talk about like me- heritage or mentality, but that stuff can be built. Like you look at what Jurgen Klopp did with Liverpool. Now Liverpool were the nearly club; they were never meant to win the Premier League again. And then he changed that club around. And Southgate has changed this England team. I think in the past, yeah, I think England were thinking thinking too much, and they got in their own way too many times. But I think when it comes down, if you get to the final of, the, of a major international tournament. And you lose on spot on spot kicks, and I think like you can't say that's down to mentality or heritage. That's just down mm-hmm. to I, I I never want to say luck because as, as you as you all know, I want to give credit to the goalkeepers, and if we'll talk about that mm-hmm. later. But I think you can't blame that on heritage and stuff. Most of the England team aren't associated with the scars of the past. They yeah. they're a new generation, and I think there's a lot of young England fans out there who will know nothing but mostly good things. Obviously, Iceland. Aside, but they'll know mostly good things about the singing team. And I think Mm. that's, that's what you take going forward. That's what you, that's what you hold on to if you're England. And you know that in the past, like in the past four years or so, there is no team really who has performed as well as you on the international scale. No, no team has got a semi-final and a final under their belts in the last three or four years. So that's Mm. what you, that's what you look at and you move forward that way. They're building something new. I don't think it's about the heritage or the mentality.
2: Fair play. Fair play. And and of course, we're going to speak um, about the penalties in just a little while. But before we do that, I wanted to um, to ask you guys to share your thoughts on on a particular player for for Italy, who I felt was the standout player and who was causing England trouble all game. And, And to some extent, I was a bit perplexed at how... Something wasn't changed to sort of try to, you know, navigate the, the 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 situation and 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 the fly in the ointment that was Federico Chiesa. You know, he was just all over the gaff, just absolutely causing trouble. And 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 why 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 was Southgate not more pra- pragmatic in trying to deal with that particular threat? Um, how, how did you guys see it? Did you, did you did you think he he put in one of the best performances we've seen all, all, all tournament?
1: He was pretty, he was pragmatic about it though. He went to the back. He went to the back five to try and stop it. That's why you have stones and Shaw out on that side. bar like throwing on Ben Sherwell as well. I don't know what else you could do. Mm-hmm. Even if you play, even if you move to a midfield three, it doesn't work because you still need all three of those midfielders to be paying attention to these midfielders. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is what he's like at top level football. Those are the difference makers, and I. I think, you, I think Southgate did pretty much all he could have done, really, um, to like try and stop Kiese. You just have to accept that this is a kid who is going to go on to be probably one of the best players in the world if he can carry on at this trajectory. I mean, I think he obviously started slowly, but then just really came on towards the end of the season. And I think, really, the sky's the limit for him in terms of what he can do. That one moment in the second half where he um, beat out Declan Rice and then skipped away and fired a shot just wide of Jordan Pickford's post. I mean... That's that's a moment. That's a moment right there where you look at it and you're like, only a handful of players can do that at that stage in that moment. Mm. And I think you just that's the thing, the way you combat those players, in my opinion, is that you give them something to worry about, which should have been the front three that England have or the front four or five, and it wasn't.
3: Yeah, no, I agree with P. I think sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say this is like a terrific individual performance. There's not really much you can do to counter the threat. But I think, yeah, maybe you could have got a bit tighter, been a bit more aggressive, maybe take a yellow card if you have to. And I think that's where the tournament now, the know-how, whereas the Italians, I think there was one time Bukaya Saka escaped Cellini. Like, yeah, yeah, come here, you're going down. But that's what you have to do to win finals.
2: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That was a very, very big moment in in, in the game, and you can just—it was all the experience, it was all the know-how. The, you know, again, what that we've mentioned, being so streetwise in in how he dealt with that um, that situation, and I mean.
1: Uh, uh, at 37 he was years old. He the
3: ref gave yeah. him a yellow. He was smiling like, thank you, yeah.
1: man. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. Well, it's, one, it's one for a scrapbook. He's got a little yeah. collection at home. He just adds it in. <laughs> other, I mean, other players have got football shirts and famous players. He's just called his yellow cards.
2: <laughs> Honestly, I mean, yeah. Young defenders that, that want to learn the art of defending, man. You just need to watch tape of that guy because at 37 years of age to still be performing at the level that he is And he's showing no signs of slowing down. And particularly when you have a player like him, he's not uh, been dependent on pace, um, you know, and it's it's just been really smart that he's been so dependent on for for lengths in his career. He he can just go on and and keep playing. I'm sure we'll see him at the the next World Cup as well for Italy.
3: But I think, sorry, can I just make one more point on the Mm. Benucci and Cellini partnership? Because we've seen Raheem Sterling cause havoc all tournament. Teams haven't been able to cope with just the direct dribbling and the pace. But what Italy done very well, they just showed him down the line. Just go down the line. We're not going to touch you. We're not going to commit. We're not going to give a silly penalty. We're not going to allow any silly VAR checks. We're just going to show you down the line and let you run the ball out of play. And they did that all game. And they managed the threat of England's dribblers very, very well.
2: Now, of course, we need to uh, speak a little bit about the, the penalties and again, this was something that we spoke about in our previous episode. And we were talking about the fact that potentially it's something that, you know, Southgate and the and the England team should be practising and preparing for in the event that the game does go to penalties. Um, and I think there was some talk, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but in, in the post-match interview for Southgate, he spoke about the fact that you know i mean he very uh, he he was sort of very as as he always very erudite very well um um spoken in terms of how he managed and dealt with the media in 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 uh, you know off the back of the result but he was speaking about the fact that he had determined who the penalty takers would be and the order in which that they would be taking them and the fact that that was how they had prepared in training and of course uh you know you can't replicate the the heat of the moment the emotions the, the you know all of the pressure um you know that, that that the players would be facing when faced with a live crowd and a a guy of the stature of a, a, a Donnarumma. um but looking back i i think there was there was also some criticism about the fact that certain players who are more seasoned and, and experienced at the top level should have stepped up to take the penalties and the fact that Southgate should have allowed in the moment, whoever felt confident to take it rather than predetermine it beforehand. I, I wondered what you guys thought about that. You know, did you, did you think the approach was correct? Or in hindsight, which of course we always know is 2020, should it have been uh, handled in a very different way? Namely, allowing Bakayo Saka, a 19 year old who isn't experienced at the top level, um, to take the the the, defiant, the you know the the, the, the the most important penalty, the fifth penalty. What are your thoughts, Dot?
3: I think <clears throat> when things go wrong, everyone becomes an expert.
1: Mm.
3: Oh, why didn't this player take a penalty? Why didn't this guy step up? I'm surprised that this guy didn't step up. Look, Gareth Southgate got the five penalty takers correct because they are probably the best five penalty takers in his opinion, but unfortunately a few of the players missed, and that's football. There's no guarantee if Jack Grealish took a penny that he's scoring it, Mm. or if Raheem Sterling took a penny that he's going to score it. Southgate went with the best five takers that he's seen in training every single day, We're not privy to that information and that data, and he's gone with those five players. And unfortunately, yesterday, it didn't work out. It's just as
1: simple as that. You know I'm going to talk about goalkeepers now. (laughs) <laughs> um, like when when people say it's a luck of the draw thing, that's just that irritates me no end. Like the work that the work that's going in now with goalkeepers and penalties now is next level. Like they are watching so many different takers and they're doing so much work to try and guess things. And I think you look at Donnarumma last night. I thought it was really interesting how for some players he waited and went with them, some he guessed and went early. And I think that's a really interesting development. I think we're going to see more often in shootouts because I think goalkeepers are going to become more. Uh, become more aware of different players' styles, as it were. Um, But he was immense. I think I've had a lot of things to say about him. I think he's got work to do. He's far from the finished article. I think he can still be a bit rash at times and I think he still can sometimes think it's too much about him. But this kid's only 22, man. He's going to be so good for so long. And I just think with his size and his agility, like a, a player his size should not be able to move through the air like he does. And I just think It's it's remarkable that Italy could go from having one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time, if not the greatest, and then find a kid who might be as good as him or at least can get close to that level. And I just think it's it's remarkable to think that before this tournament, there was no Italian player who was as unpopular as Donnarumma because of what he was doing with Milan. And he was just getting banknotes thrown at him all the time. People hated him for choosing PSG. Um, And he managed to shut that all out. It didn't matter at all. And barring like a few crazy moments, he was he was excellent throughout the entire tournament. And I just think, I don't know, it's just remarkable to watch so much composure. And obviously a word too for Jordan Pickford. I think like he was awesome. he was brilliant. He was psyching yeah. himself up. And the thing that's really pleased me about Pickford, we spoke about him before, um, and the way he sort of got his mentality back on track. And I think we talked, talked about it earlier with Kieran Trippier, who displayed great leadership. But Pickford's really doing that as well. He's commanding his penalty box. He's commanding his centre-halves. He, the way he screams at them when he even has to do a little bit of work is exactly what you want from a goalkeeper. And the penalty saves are brilliant. I think, it is it, as, we've, as we've seen before, it is not easy to stop a Jorginho penalty. And yes, it's easy from the outside to say, oh, just wait for him. But it's not as simple as that. And not only did he wait but he got down quickly because he knew it was going to go low. He knew there was no chance of it going high, which actually is, I think, where he got caught. He got caught out with the Benucci penalty because he thought it was going to go low. Yeah. And Benucci at the last minute just seemed to lift it over him. But I just think for Pickford, this was a real coming of age for him. Yeah. And I think we talked about this on the pod before, there was every chance that he could have been under pressure from Dean Henderson in another time. But I think that he cemented his spot now. And I think now there will start to be question marks about whether he's... Ready for a move to an even bigger club than Everton, and I think he needs to prove a cons- over 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 a season that he can consistently do this. But this could be the springboard for him, and I think he'll look back on this moment in his career as an important one.
3: I think Pete yeah. has gone a bit too far in regards to you know looking <laughs> for a move away from Everton because I think he's, like, <laughs> he's level, but
1: no, no, but I'm no, but I'm just I'm just saying that <laughs> he can he can he can prove this if he if he can take this and do this over a season because obviously he got dropped this season for Robin <laughs> Olsen. And there were some times uh, in the first half of the season where he looked shaky at best. And then we were talking about it, but Dean Henderson wasn't playing at United, so you couldn't have that conversation in a real way. But if he can do this sort of thing over an entire season, but if you're a top club who's looking for a new keeper and you haven't got one, like there's quite a few mm-hmm. out there, then I don't know why you wouldn't have him on the list, at least. Whereas as I'm saying before, he would never be on that list in a million years. You would never... Yeah. Like yeah, the fair. only the only reason one of the big six in England would be looking at Jordan Pickford is because he's English. But for me yeah. now, if he can go out and have a season like that, then next year, Casper Schmeichel's 35. If Leicester start thinking about making a change, Pickford's a perfect one for him. The mm-hmm. one for them.
3: If he maintains the form, I think that's a That's, it. That, that's so big. It. Oh, yeah.
1: so, <laughs> it's so big. Because like, we haven't seen it. And like, I, as, as I said before, I've been one of his biggest critics. I think he's got... So much like potential, but so many problems. But if he, if the second half of the season and this tournament can be the start of something, then it's great. Mm. And hopefully, in the, in eighteen months' time before Qatar. We're not having a conversation about England's goalkeepers, fingers crossed.
3: No, I, mean, I agree with you, Pete. Pickford had a fantastic tournament. For me, he was the best goalkeeper in the tournament. I know people probably argued on a rumour, but mm. for me, I think Pickford was excellent. He was doing everything to stop that ball going in to the back of the net. And we saw it with the goal that Benici scored, he actually made a well class save to you know, prevent the, the first header, I think, from Ferrati going in. But obviously, unfortunately, the, the follow-up. But... Yeah, obviously there's been a lot of abuse. You know how that the black players for missing penalties, and for me that's just unacceptable. And come on, man, this needs to stop because how many times are we going to repeat the same thing? A black player misses mm. a penalty, racial abuse, and it's it's disgusting.
1: It's disgraceful. Like I don't understand. Like like a week, a week, two weeks ago, like you were lauding Raheem Sterling and James Sancho and and Saka as like your heroes, like they were the ones who were going to bring it home for you, and now they miss a penalty. Like which, like by the way, like ninety-nine percent of people who will step up would crumble under that sort of pressure. What these players go through is immense. And you think it's okay to go online and racially abuse these people. And like I just think like we might as well just move on to the general topic of fan uh, behavior now. But like I just thought it was embarrassing. I thought it was actually disgraceful. Like you look at you look at the way fans handled themselves before the game, during the game, and after the game, I thought it was pathetic. Like to to see some of the things coming out about like England fans attacking Italian fans, the racist abuse held towards not just black players, but black fans as well. And then like to see some of the statistics that were published um, from helplines about how domestic abuse goes up when England are playing, whether they win or lose. Like imagine that, imagine thinking that it's okay to hit your partner, whether England win or lose. Imagine that being your mentality. And I just think like people were talking about like, oh, we let ourselves down and we're not going to host a world cup. Like no one, but that doesn't matter. Like, We've got bigger issues in hosting a World Cup. Like, this country is seriously broken. And I think, yes, Gareth Southgate and his team did an amazing job of bringing everyone together. What they stand for and what they represent is nothing short of extraordinary. And I honestly didn't ever think I would see that from an England team before he took over. But he shows what, what last night shows is that it is only a part-way job. And there is still a lot of work that this country does has to do to get back to where it should be in terms of Equality and social um social justice because at the moment it's yeah.
3: just a thing. The, the, the well behavior said. of some mm. of the fans is, is unacceptable. I went to quite a few of the fan parks and I honestly asked the security why is none of these fan parks show in the game? And they're like, listen, England fans, we don't know how to behave. Just have to be honest, it's it's a nightmare. It's gonna be too dangerous, it's gonna be a disaster. And we're one of the only countries where there can't be mass gatherings, big screens showing the England games. Why? Because we know that violence is going to break out. And that's not good enough, man. It's not good enough.
1: Before yeah. the tournament, before the tournament, before the first game even played, the English people were ripping into Luca Modric for the way he spoke about them, for saying, oh, they're arrogant. And he's like, "And Modric had to, had to like backtrack a little bit and say, oh, it's mostly just from the media. Like, <laughs> but it's not. It's from, the, it's from the fans as well. The arrogance. Like, imagine thinking that you're entitled to go to this game even though you don't have a ticket. Imagine what must go through your head to think that, like to be so arrogant about that. And Unreal. this is the problem. Like the English people wonder why the rest of Europe hates us. Like this is it's moments like this is because we can't, we can't lose in grace. And frankly, we can't win in grace either. Like it's just, there's so much, there's the, the mentality still exists that England is best and everyone else is irrelevant. And until that shifts, nothing else is going to change because these people still think they're superior to black mm-hmm. people, to women, to people of different, sexual orientations and until that mm. changes nothing else is going to change and it just it's so frustrating when you watch these incredible young men do what they do like Marcus Rashford obviously he's had a tough season but what he's done off the pitch helping children with dinners, school dinners and stuff is extraordinary Jane Sancho just built a whole load of new pitches in London like they do so much amazing stuff for the community and for this country and if this is the thanks they get like they deserve better than England fans honestly
2: I, I think there's nothing else I could potentially add to that. I think that was uh, well said, Pete, and and you essentially encapsulated all of the different thoughts that I had as well. In you know in in what you just mentioned there, and I mean I I, I saw a, an alert on my phone uh, from uh, BBC News just at the start of our um, of our recording that uh, I think a mural that had been painted for Rashford in 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 light of you know what he'd he'd done with with this. Uh, school meals and what have you had been vandalized and stuff. And, yes. and there you go. That's, that, that's crazy. exactly what it is.
3: It's crazy. You know? It's crazy. It's just crazy. It's
2: really, Literally. really disappointing. The other question I wanted to ask you guys actually is, is looking ahead to Qatar 2022. Is it a good thing that it's so soon that the next big tournament is, is so soon. And it's a, a matter of, you know, putting this, laying this one to bed and, and looking ahead because it is going to be coming around quite quickly or do you feel that it would have been better for there to be a, a, you know, a longer period of time for, um, you know, the England players and fans and what have you to recover and, 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 and prepare for the next?
3: I'm not going to sit here and say the England team need to recover because I feel they've done the nation proud. As I said, Mm. getting to the first European championship final playing some fantastic football, being defensively solid. We all thought this England team are going to let us down defensively, but they showed, listen, you've got the heart, we've got the desire, we want to keep clean sheets. So I think there's no guarantee that it's going to come home in, in 2022. I just have to be honest because football doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. It doesn't mean because you get to one final, the next tournament immediately after you go and win it. Football doesn't work like that. You can I'm have actually a horrible... Liverpool. <laughs> <Unless you're laughs> Liverpool. You, can have, you can have a horrible draw where you draw Brazil in the last 16 or you draw Argentina or France and all of a sudden it's like uh-oh so you can never predict the game are England in good hands absolutely mm. players like Bakaya Saka that in a year's time he's going to potentially be one of the best players in England Jaden Sancho in my opinion already a world-class player imagine him in a year's time he's going to be sensational for Man United I mean, Calvin Phillips, first major tournament. In the next tournament, he's going to have more experience, more know-how. Declan Rice had a fantastic tournament. Kieran Trippier again, La Liga winner. So Harry Kane, he's, you know, one of the best strikers in the world. Brahim Sterling playing terrific mm. football in this tournament. I can go on and on. That's the point. But am I going to sit here and say, that means England are going to win the next major tournament? Absolutely not, because football doesn't work like that. But are we in good hands? Yes, because Gareth Southgate has been a class act Right, his whole entire spell as the England manager.
1: Yeah, right. yeah I yeah, think, right. I think, oh yeah, I echo what Dot says really. I think it doesn't, I don't think it matters. I think if he came around in two years, three years, four years, I think, I think as he says, there's so much talent here and as a manager who knows how to use it. I just don't think it matters. I think, I think the short gap probably helps other teams. I think it helps Italy. I think if it was a two or three year gap, would we see Chiellini there? Maybe not. Like you you'd start to think about it. You look at some other some of the other teams with elder statesmen, France, maybe, like are they going to bring Benzema and Hugo Lloris to the next tournament? I don't know. You maybe not. you obviously they've got other issues to worry about rather than just on the pitch. Um, so I think and I think it's nice for some you think of a team like Denmark, so a lot of their players, Kasper Schmeichel, Simon Kiar, like they're into their thirties now. They could have been they might not get another shot at a major tournament. But I think now, well, hopefully, if they qualify, I get to see them at a World Cup. And I think I think the short gap is obviously a, is a one-off and it won't happen again. But I think it can only really be a good thing. I don't think it will really hurt anyone.
2: Mm. Fair, fair play. Um, now, of course, um, you know, the, the, the tournament has come to an end. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I think it's fitting that we also have a bit of a, uh, a recap of uh, you know, some of the, the highlights and best moments and and um you know key players and that kind of thing. So to kick things off, I wanna ask both of you who your player of the tournament was. Who was the player that stood out um head and shoulders above everybody else? Um, you know, who, who yeah, who 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 was the player of the tournament in in your view?
1: I'm gonna go for George Jr. I think. I think, wow, realistic, okay. I, think, I think realistically, you have to probably pick an Italian player. They won the tournament. Mm. I think, in terms of which player impressed me the most, I think it was Jorginho. I think you, ex- I think you expect what you saw from Benucci and Chiellini. I think John Roma, as I said, had his moments where he you sort of raised your eyebrows and perhaps a little bit sort of Carlo Ancelotti style. And I think, as good as Chiesa was, I just think there was no player who sort of embodied this Roberto Mancini team and Jorginho, purely for the reason that he has all the fight of Benucci and and uh, Chiellini, but he also has all the subtlety of Chiesa. He has all the the magical touch of Marco Verratti. And when you combine that with a really dogged work rate, you have what is actually a really special midfielder. And I I really don't think, I don't think we appreciate what we get from him enough in England. I also think, By the same degree, we don't always see that when he plays in England. But I think obviously the last six months under Thomas Tuchel have been some of his best. I think some people thought he might be on the way out, but I think he's been revolutionized under the German. And I think that, yeah, I think it's remarkable to say, because I wouldn't have said this at the back end of of the year, but there are a few midfielders in the world right now who are more complete than Jorginho. And I think he was a massive reason as to why they were able to do what they were able to do.
2: Very well said. That's an interesting one. Certainly not one that I I had uh, uh, been thinking about. But I mean the way, the way the way when you mention it the way that you have Pete, I think that's a very good shout. Uh how about you, Dot? Who who's a player of the tournament
3: for you? I don't know. I don't think there was <laughs> I don't think there was any standout performer. I think obviously Paul Pogba was very good, but mm-hmm. France didn't make it to the latter stages, so I can't go with someone like a Paul Pogba.
2: You mentioned that uh, Raheem Sterling previously you mentioned Raheem Sterling was England's best player of the tournament does he have a a, a shout for overall player of the tournament as well yeah, potentially
3: Yeah, if England won I think if England won he would have mm. been the player of the tournament I don't think he had the greatest performance in the final if I'm being mm. totally honest mm. but he was still a major threat every time he got the ball but things just didn't quite work out for him yesterday so it's really difficult. I'm I'm leaning towards probably an Italian player, but Mm. I don't think Italy had a standout performer, if I'm being totally honest. So with all that being said, I am going to go with Luke Shaw because he surprised me the most because Mm. I was critical of him after the first game saying that he didn't offer a lot going forward. But, you know... Throughout the knockout stages, he was almost like a prime Roberto Carlos. Like, we have <laughs> to be honest. Sure, and, Carlos. <laughs> what, <laughs> what summed up Luke Shaw yesterday was not the goal, it's what he did in the build-up for the goal. Kepi's composure, turned, played it infield, went on about his business, arrived in the box late, and what a finish. Yeah. So for that piece of play... He's my player of the tournament. I have no bad words to say for Luke anymore. You you combined uh,
2: the uh, the question because I was actually my next question was going to be your surprise player, but you're basically so your your surprise player is also your player of the tournament.
3: Yeah.
2: Pete, in terms of the player that surprised you the most at the uh, at the tournament, who who was that that you had the least expectations for, and who pleasantly you was pleasantly pleasantly surprised by?
1: I have two? Um... The two that I think took me took me by surprise the most were Mikhail Dansgaard and Patrick Schick. Yeah,
2: think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
1: I think with with Dansgard, he obviously wasn't meant to play. He was yeah. he came he came in because of what happened to Christian Eriksen, but there was no indication that he was ready for this moment. He's been okay for Sampdoria. There's been flashes of, of what he can do and why he's in the Denmark team. There's been a lot of inconsistency as well, and I just think that to come in. And come into a situation where you know you know now that you're the spark, you're the you're the player who has to make it happen. You're a 20 year old kid. You're the one now. You're carrying a nation, a nation that is in shock after what happened to your teammate, the player who you are replacing. And to to grow into that role and to relish it, I think that's just so impressive and speaks volumes about his character. And I think he's a player who will probably get a move now in the summer. I'd like to maybe see him stay with Sampdoria for one more year, just to continue his development. But I think he will get a move, and I think. He's another who can look at this as sort of a launch pad um with Shik, Um again, this is this is a shameless plug, and I'm sorry, but yeah I, spoke, I, spoke, <laughs> I, spoke, I
0: spoke,
1: <laughs> um but yeah I spoke, I spoke I to Thomas for before the tournament and when I asked him who he thought the cherry public's most important player will be, I expected him to say Thomas Suchek of West Ham. <laughs> and he said, nah, it'll be Patrick Schick because the only way we're going to have a good tournament is if he finally starts living up to his potential because he can do it all, but he hasn't done it yet. And this is a chance for him to show that he can do it. And he did it and he did it. And mm-hmm. he scored, he scored five goals. And the only reason why he's not the golden boots is because he didn't get an assist. But um, I think that he's a player who is your archetypal. Oh, you can see it's there, but he can't put it together a little bit like Andrew yamalenko Like, There's no consistency and again if he can put it together on a consistent basis and use this to start scoring regularly he's going to be a great player because he's big he's strong he's technically good like he's quick as well like he's got everything you want and i just think and obviously as well like you have to give him goal of the tournament as well for what he did against Scotland, which was (laughs) remarkable i just think both of those those players you just didn't they were nowhere near any list at all anywhere and i just think they both really shone
2: very, very well said. I, I'm, I'm, I certainly were. I certainly was surprised by by those two players as well, and both of them scored absolute worldies, didn't they? Really. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, definitely good shouts. Uh, one final question, just to wrap things up, then, gents, and that is, um, your favourite moment, your highlight of the tournament, the one moment that, you know, made you gasp for air. Uh, the mo- one moment that made you cry or the mo- one mo- just the one standout moment for you. Um, what, was, what was that? The one that you'll never forget?
1: I mean, I guess the obvious one is Christian Eriksson. You're never, mm. no one, no one in the world of football is ever going to forget where they were and what they were doing the day yeah. that happened. It was one of the most chilling and frightening things I've ever watched on a sport field. And I think, as has said a lot of times on the pod, the real winners and the real heroes of this tournament are the Danish medical staff for what they did, the players for how quickly they got the medical team on Simon, Kiar marshalled the players around Ericsson to give him privacy. He was comforting Ericsson's partner along with Katriss Michael. And I think that is the moment that you're never going to forget. If you were there, if you were watching it, it doesn't matter where you were in the world. And I think that's going to stick with everyone for a long time. I think the other moment, and I think will stay with me, was actually right at the start of the tournament when Andrea Pirlo was belting out um, Nasindera, and I was just think <laughs> I just think it was it was such a it was such an iconic moment. I think not just because of how great he is, but because of the atmosphere that he created with the Italian fans. We had we had fans back in the stadium. I think it, it really spoke to what this tournament was meant to be and i think what it turned out to be i think it it was meant to be cathartic after such a difficult year a very weird season no fans and the tournament was a reminder of just how amazing football can be and i think it got started in the perfect way and i think although a lot of people are going to be upset that england lost i think it was fitting in some ways it was italy who won it
2: mm, mm, definitely and how about at your end dot
3: Yeah, it has has to be England related. I would have said, you know, the Luke Shaw goal yesterday. I would have said Harry Kane sealing the win against Germany. But I think for me, the biggest moment for England was Thomas Muller missing that one-on-one because how many times have we seen Muller get in behind one Mm -hmm. V1 and it's like the clock just stops. You know it's a goal. And for him to scuff it wide was just unbelievable for me and that obviously led to England winning the game for me, it's Thomas Muller's miss. Well, that was a big miss.
2: It was a big, a big, big moment. <laughs> <laughs> One, 100%, man, most definitely. It has been uh, an amazing tournament. There have been so many good moments, uh, so many moments of passion, so many moments that allowed us to believe and, and really unite as a nation. Uh, some amazing goals, some amazing uh, results, uh, some standout players, and and all the rest of it. It literally had everything from the start, even in the group games, you know, uh, right the way through to the knockout stages of the competition. And and um, you know, we 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 can only thank football for for delivering those those moments to us. Um, of course, it didn't end the way that we had hoped it would but we look ahead to the next uh, major tournament and and we all are well aware that there is you know a, a, an exciting group of, of of players that you know are doing as much off the field as they're doing on the field in terms of you know contributions to their communities and 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 to and service to their countries and and you know and we applaud them for it um, thank you very much, gents, for sharing all of your your thoughts on on, on the game yesterday, and um, for all of the 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 analysis and the feedback and and, and the perspectives offered throughout the whole of this tournament. Um, thank you, listeners, for sticking with us right up until the end of the tournament and listening in. We we, we thank you. Um, but it doesn't stop here. We will be back again. You haven't heard the end of us just yet. Uh, so keep it locked. Uh, because we will be continuing to uh, provide you with some top tier content as always. Um, But until then, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much yet again. It's been an amazing tournament and we're going to catch you on uh, the next one until then
0: over and out. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer.